Pastor Xavier Reese and a true picture of grace. Some people still have a real problem with God for forgiving someone for all their sins. If they murder, if they rob, if they steal, if they do treacherous things, they don't understand the gospel. They don't understand that they would never stand before God. It's a slap in the face of self-righteousness, people, and a false understanding of the theology of God. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Every king, every kingdom, every war, every country was set in place for God's purpose, eternity. Today, Pastor Xavier explores the prophetic message set forth in the book of Ezekiel, a lesson for the prophet's contemporaries and for the nations still to come. Let's listen. Ezekiel chapter 33, we're going to look at verse 1 through 33, and the message is entitled, The Watchman of Israel. The prophet Ezekiel has pronounced judgment to Judah faithfully, as well as the Gentile nations. Now the prophet Ezekiel begins to pronounce restoration near and far by the message of repentance as the watchman of Israel, a common metaphor used by the prophets before, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, many, many others. All these contexts is in the backdrop of the covenant blessings and cursings of Deuteronomy 27 and 28 and Leviticus 26. Always keep those chapters in mind where you're dealing with God's judgment for his people. Important text. The teaching of the watchman consists in the following three movements. First, you have the illustration of the watchman, verse 1 through 9. Secondly, you have the proclamation of the watchman in verse 10 through 20. And then you have the revelation to the watchman in verse 21 through 33. Let's begin here with the illustration of the watchman. Notice in verse 1 through 6, we have the responsibility of the watchman to the people. Verse 1 and 2, the illustration of the watchman is given to us. The revelation is marked by the usual prophetic formula. This prophet, once again, is being directed by God from heaven. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, verse 1, count the numbers in the book of Ezekiel, over and over and over again. The prophet was to speak to the people of God, notice. He's addressed as a son of man. One like them, human, frail, a sinner like all others. And the prophet is identified as one from among the people, which is very important. Speak to the children of your people. It's always important that I as a pastor always remember that you are my brothers and sisters. And that I am one of you and among you, not above you. Very, very important. And if it weren't for the grace of God, Ezekiel would go into evil, you would go into evil, and so would I. Very important. This is a chapter that's going to focus on one aspect to self-righteous people. People that think that God's not fair when he forgives. It's going to be an interesting concept. The message of the prophet regards coming judgment and warning by the watchman. And say to them, verse 2, when I bring the sword upon the land, and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman. So he takes a metaphor and a practice of the day. The word watchman means to put out for spies, to look out for them. And this was a practice against invaders and especially during the time of war. And this watchman would be placed on a high tower with a trained eye so that he could see a good vantage point and scan the day and the night 
to see if there would be any approaching enemy and to warn the people. So they would take protection from within the city walls. It's a very common metaphor. Everybody understood this. Notice God indicates it is he who is their enemy in judgment. I bring a sword upon the land. This is very important. This is no accident. God takes full credit for what he's bringing on the people. But listen, his people. Okay? Not the Gentiles. He's done with them. This is his people. Look at verse 3 through 5. The function of the watchman is described. The faithfulness of the watchman of the city was to sound the alarm to warn the people. When he sees a sword coming upon the land, if he blows a trumpet and warns the people, if, conditional, the trumpet, the shofar, was a long horn curve upwards at the end, and it's used both for military and religious occasions. Joshua, Samuel, Psalms, Amos, many other books. The people were personally and individually responsible to respond to the alarm. Keep this in mind. Verse 4, every person was responsible for their own indifference to the alarm. Then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, every person was responsible for their own life. If the sword comes and takes away, his blood shall be upon his head. The individual's responsible. The confirmation is stated in the beginning of verse 5. The confirmation states, he heard the sound of the trumpet, but he did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself, the individual. The person responding to the alarm, in contrast, would do what? Save their life. So he says, but he who takes warning will save his life. He's laying it down, the principles here. You remember chapter 18 of Ezekiel? Focus upon the personal responsibility for sin so as not to blame others. That's the focus. Chapter 3, we're going to see what's his initial call as a watchman. Chapter 18 focuses upon the personal responsibility. You can't blame your dad if he was evil. You can't blame the environment. You can't blame nobody. You can't say our fathers ate sour grapes and our teeth are on edge. So much for dysfunctionalism and psychology and all the stuff that we have. You have a choice. You have human responsibility. You make the choice whether you're going to be evil like your parents, like your friends, or like the environment. That doesn't make you evil. You just agree to be part of the evil. You understand? Look at verse 6. The failure of the watchman to blow the alarm to warn the people accused him of being guilty of his duty. Every watchman was responsible for the people under his watch. Listen. But... If the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and the sword comes, that's the condition. Even though every person was guilty, because look what it says, and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity. Even though the person is evil and guilty, if the watchman doesn't blow the horn, God still holds him responsible because that's his duty. You understand? Every watchman was guilty and responsible for those lies under his watch. Listen, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. You have any problem with any of this so far? <laughs> now notice the accountability of the watchman to God now is given in verse 7 through 9. The call of Ezekiel as the watchman is by God, not himself. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. The warning would be from God for the prophet was only the vessel. Therefore, you shall hear a word 
from my mouth and warn them for me. So in reality, it was God warning the people, but he's the vessel. I am the watchman here at Calvary Chapel, Pasadena. I warn you. I warn myself as I warn you. I don't warn you simply because I hate certain people. I don't do it because I hate the individuals. I do it because I love the people of God. And I do it because if not, God will wring my neck. I'm responsible. The call to be a watchman was a confirmation here. A recommissioning that came initially at his call in chapter 3, 17 through 21. Let me read there. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning for me. Chapter 3. That's the initial call. The only difference is that chapter 3, the watchman call was private. Now it is public because the prophet is going to begin to declare prophecies of restoration. Judgment is over. You understand? Now look at verse 8. The reiteration of the personal guilt and responsibility of Ezekiel as the watchman if he fails to warn the wicked is stated. Regarding the wicked, first, verse 8, the beginning. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his ways, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. And then regarding the accountability to God, but his blood I will require at your hand. The guy's guilty. The guy's wicked. But if you don't sound the trumpet, Ezekiel, I will hold you responsible for his blood. Hmm. Look at 9. The reiteration of personal faithfulness to Ezekiel to warn would clear him from any guilt. But it's the choice of Ezekiel, right? He even has a choice. First, regarding the wicked. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked, verse 9 there, to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity. Psalm 127, 1 says, Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And then regarding his accountability to God, the rest of nine. But you have delivered your soul. Why? Because he sounded the alarm. I am responsible to proclaim and warn. I am not responsible for your choice. I pray you make the right choice. It is not my eternity that you play with. It's your own. The responsibility is found also back in chapter 3, verse 16 through 21, in his initial call. The prophet Ezekiel had been faithful, declaring all the messages of warning through many various sign sermons, as you know, from chapter 4 to 24. The prophet had warned the Gentiles of the coming judgment, 25 through 32, because Ezekiel had been made a sign to the house of Israel in chapter 12, verse 6. Very colorful prophet. Very vivid. A 21-year-old Italian Navy sentry was uh, sentenced to five months in jail by a um, military tribunal court because he left his post. He told the court that he was so afraid of standing alone in the dark that he left his post unattended until dawn. Chiapas was his name, and his problem was twofold. He feared the darkness, and he did not like to stand alone. What a picture of so many pastors and Christians today. They fear the darkness more than the light, and they don't want to stand alone, so they follow the crowd. Where do you stand? I think of the multitudes of pastors who have, um, through the church age, failed to warn sinners of the coming judgment. 
and they've just given some nifty little sermons. I think of the movements that started on fire with the word of God proclaiming salvation to all, but they lost their passion, no longer preaching about the coming judgment and watered down salvation. I think of the number of churches who do not preach the gospel but a seeker-friendly gospel that's a crossless gospel, therefore it's a powerless gospel. Think of the number of people that you know yourself who were on fire at one time and they began to backslide. They've been in the world for a long time and some of them God used tremendously and they walked with God many years and now they, they don't believe in judgment anymore. Listen to the words of Paul as he spoke to the Ephesian elders for the last time in Acts 20, 26. Paul told the Ephesian elders, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Now who do you think he had in mind? You say, thank God we're looking about Old Testament. That's not New Testament. I don't think so. Paul teaches it as New Testament, and he's not the only one. The church is asleep today, people. The illustration of the watchman is one of great responsibility and accountability. We better fear God from the pulpit as well as the pew. Or we're dead. Next comes the proclamation to the watchman, verse 10 through 20. In verse 10 and 11, the prophet was to attend to the inquiry of the people wanting to repent regarding their sins. Here you have it. Finally, some light. A few have got conviction. Does God fry them? Where's the God of the Old Testament? Where's somebody I can burn them? Now, he sees those few and he says, I'll forgive you if you repent. Wow. Look at 10. The prophet Ezekiel was to confront the people with their own words. God's good at that. He doesn't need any information. He doesn't get a third, fourth way down the chain. This is the first time the conviction is revealed by some. Therefore you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus you say, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us. See the conviction. They're very words. This also reveals their despair, what follows. And we pine away in them. How can we then live? They're acknowledging their guilt and they're asking, how can we get right? Now, when you cry out to God, he says, hey, too late, buddy. I was only kidding. I'm ticked off. No way. Oh, he's not like us. Look at 11. The prophet Ezekiel was to respond to the inquire of the people. He's a representative of God who's gracious, merciful, full of loving kindness, ready to forgive. The words were those of Yahweh by an oath. Say to them, as I live, saith the Lord. He's eternal. The heart of God is revealed for the sinner. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Judgment is God's strange way to act. Isaiah 28, 21 says we've seen that often. He'd rather forgive. Here's the heart of God. Notice the pleading invitation of God. Is expressed. Turn, turn from your evil way, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Now you remember in chapter 18, verse 23, he says, Do I have pleasure, any pleasure at all, that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his evil ways? The answer is obvious, rhetorical. No, I take no pleasure in that. I want him to turn. And if he calls on me, I will save him. Oh, wow. Incredible. Now notice 12 through 16, the prophet was to give the various cases regarding 
the response to the warning of sin and repentance. Again, this is law school here. He's laying it out like a lawyer. God is the lawyer, and then he's going to be the judge, by the way, at the end. <laughs> this is divine courtroom. Look at 12. The general principle is expounded. First, the beginning of 12, the righteous. Therefore, you, O son of man, say to the children of your people, he reminds them of your people, the righteousness of the righteous man shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. A person's past life of righteousness would not deliver him if he turned to a life of sin. Do you understand that? Do you think that's just Old Testament? Do you think God's permissive now in the New Testament? Do you think he's any holier now? God could not ignore the human choice, nor the turning to evil as a lifestyle. The wicked comes next in 12 there. If he repents, here's the condition. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall because of it in the day that he turns from his wickedness. In other words, if he turns back to sin, he would be judged. If he didn't, he wouldn't. Look at 12 there. Nor shall the righteous be able to live because of his righteousness in the day of his sins. In other words, God's not a debtor for past things, nor is he locked into past things, right? Now, the specific cases are explained in verse 13 through 16. He's laid the principles. Now look, in verse 13, righteous living in the past does not obligate God to pardon if there is a turning to wickedness. Very clear. Listen carefully. When I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, but if he trusts in his own righteousness, Paul says there's none righteous, no, not one. But if he trusts in his own righteousness and commits iniquity, none of his righteousness works shall be remembered. But because of the iniquity that he has committed, he shall die. If he lives 60 years in righteousness, if it's his own, he can't use it to get into heaven. If it's that under God, and then he turns to sin, he still can't use that. God's not obligated. He doesn't weigh whether you have more sins than good, than good works. Wow. Beacon's commentary is very, very good at this point. Let me give it to you regarding this verse. Ezekiel would have been shocked by even the suggestion of anything like the unconditional predestination of individuals as taught by John Calvin and his followers. He would have been shocked. Oh, sorry, God, you have to accept me because I'm predestined. Really? Well, if you're predestined, then you'll live for righteousness. <laughs> it's real simple. Notice verse 14. Wicked living of the past does not obligate God either to pass judgment if there is repentance. Again, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die if he turns from his sins and does what is lawful and right. And he gives you an example so that you get it. This is law school here. Look at 15. The example of the wicked repenting is given. If the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he has stolen, and walks in the statutes of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live, he shall not die. The verdict comes in verse 16. None of his sins which he has committed shall be remembered against him. He has done what is lawful and right, he shall surely live. Can you handle that? 
That God would forgive somebody a day before he dies of all his wicked life? Would you be envious of him? Would you say that's not fair? If we have to start talking about fair, we have to start talking about hell. Anybody want to do that? Hmm. Look at verse 17 through 20. The prophet was to reveal the justice of God that was being challenged by the people because that's what happened. Just what I just asked you. In verse 17, God declared the false charges of the people by quoting their very words of the people to the prophet. Yet the children of your people say, the way of the Lord is not fair. And the word fair has the idea of measure or a weight. They challenged and charged him also in chapter 18, verse 25 of being unfair. In other words, they were saying God's scales of justice are off balance, unjust, and that he would forgive all the iniquity of this person if he repented. Pray tell, they forgot that they were included. Does it matter if you have one sin or a thousand sins? Listen, the minute you come out of your mother's womb, you and I deserve hell unless we repent. You understand? We're born sinners. Some people still have a real problem with God for forgiving someone for all their sins. If they murder, if they rob, if they steal, if they do treacherous things, they don't understand the gospel. They don't understand that they would never stand before God. It's a slap in the face of self-righteousness, people, and a false understanding of the theology of God. Ezekiel 18 focused on the inability to blame others or environment. Having free will and responsibility, you choose which way you're going to go in life. And you and I can blame no one. No one. Particular Ezekiel 18 too. Our parents ate sour grapes and our teeth are on edge. No way. Let me give you the modern day phrase, dysfunctionalism. Look at 17 still. God declares his charges against the people. They were being unjust, but it is their way which is not fair. The word but marks the sharp contrast. The people were not recognizing the true weight of their sin and thinking it was lighter in matter. It's easy to excuse our sin. Well, I'm not as bad as that one. Well, don't compare yourself against man. You're comparing against God. Now, how are you doing? God reaffirmed the principle of his justice. In 18, first for the righteous. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, he shall die because of it. Now, you understand that? Then for the wicked in 19. But when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is lawful and right, he shall live because of it. That's called grace. If you're going to study the doctrine of grace, you must begin in Genesis. And Noah found grace in the eyes of God, not in the New Testament. Noah deserved hell, but he repented. He found grace, not law. He found grace. God will certainly judge each person perfectly. He deals with them now. Despite the explanation by God, to the various cases in detail, the people still charge God. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not fair. Some people just don't get it. Ever learning, never coming to the knowledge of the truth, divine justice would be meted out. O house of Israel, I will judge every one of you 
according to his own ways. Nobody will get shortchanged. I am the eternal one, the holy one of Israel. Can you handle that? Pastor Xavier Reese and the coming judgment. Are you ready? There's still much more, but that's next time. And if you won't be able to join us, you can always pick up a copy of this message on CD for just $4. And the title to ask for is The Watchman of Israel. And be sure and share this study with someone in your church or Bible study. So once again, the title to ask for is The Watchman of Israel. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it helps us when you mention the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. Rat Race, Dog Eat Dog World, or fight to the finish. What are the world's chances of survival? Find out when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 